choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and whomsoever you may choose to identify as, welcome to the Daustronaut podcast. Thank you for joining me, your host, Ben Baldieri, on this journey to the edge of the blockchain universe where we will be exploring the uncharted expanses of the DAO space. DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations are made possible through blockchain technology and will form the backbone of Web 3.0. DAOs represent the next frontier of human creativity, collaboration and potential and give us the opportunity to fundamentally reimagine how we organize, what we organize around and why we choose to do it. On this voyage, I will be interviewing the most exciting and innovative projects in the DAO space picking apart what exactly it is that they are up to, analyzing how they are going about it, and understanding why they too have embarked on this quest into the expanse. In doing this, and in you, my fellow Daosonauts, choosing to join me on this odyssey, we will learn just how revolutionary DAOs can and will be. These organizations and this way of organizing are going to change absolutely everything. And in choosing to join me on this adventure, you have secured your seat on the fastest rocket into the decentralized future. To say that I am excited about the promise that this future holds would be an absolute understatement. So let's all suit up, lay back and strap in for launch. One thing that I must insist that everybody remembers for the duration of this voyage is that nothing that is said on this podcast is financial advice. With that in mind, please sit back and enjoy the ride. Good evening, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. I am here this evening with Jesse Radmaker, who is the interim CEO and co-founder of Medium, which is the world's first design DAO. Um, I'm really excited about what Jesse is doing because with Medium, they are seeking to combine Web3 innovation with top shelf design talent and a distributed mindset. And this is a use case that I've not heard about before. And it's really interesting to, to hear someone doing something that is not finance related. Um, so Jesse, interim CEO, tell me about that. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. This is this is a super cool podcast because first of all, we're talking DAOs here, right? And uh, and I think that colors everything that we do. And so it, it feels a little bit weird to be called a CEO 
of a DAO. Like, you know, if like DAOs are kind of like decentralized, we hate CEOs, like we want like self-governance. It just feels a little weird, you know? So really the goal here is, uh, and, and the intention of, of just even saying that is, that we don't, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to be the CEO. I didn't start this to be a CEO of a design community, right? It's, it right now is uh, centralized from a perspective of the organization. Uh, and we have a progressive decentralization roadmap. So uh, we, we're going to decentralize as much as we can, as quickly as we can, but it's going to be done on the terms of the community. Right, so it's a community. Everything we do, like you said, is about like fostering the best ideas, getting resources to the top creative minds, influencers, innovators, and people generally that are creating good for the future. Right, that's like where where we think that there has to be a counterweight to you know this past industrial revolution to actually put some energy and exert you know that that counter pressure to see if you know all these constructs in which creatives currently work, which we call a corporate patronage model, all creatives feel like we have to work for a company to practice our skill sets. Uh, and that and medium is really kind of looking at it from the perspective of, well, if those are all the individuals behind every brand and every entity that we all know and love, all the product, well, how can we free that from the pure financially driven concepts, right? Of like a web two business where it's all centralized and, you know, trace it back into the industrial revolution. This system is quite old. It's about a 140 year old process. And so that's why we like to think about Medium as tr just trying to spark that next creative renaissance, you know, that next period where creatives can fulfill their potential at a, just a much higher clip than what the current, you know, corporate patronage model allows. Fantastic. There was a um, term that you used there a couple of times that I'd like to, to dig into a little bit more, just to, to double check my understanding. Corporate patronage. How would you how would you define that? So um, we, you know, we're thinking about things on, on like long term macro scales. So I think that like we kind of created Medium just by probably dreaming bigger than anybody else. It's kind of the way we put it, right? Like we think that. If you have an ideal, if you have a value, now there's like whole new ways to organize around collective values, right? And so we, we love history because we're looking at like big periods of time. And we look back and said, what was the most prolific era in creative history? Well, it was the Renaissance. It was the creative Renaissance, you know, the 14th century, like 600 years ago. And you said, how is all of creative capital being organized and how did it, how did it manifest such amazing returns, right? Because the Florence, Italy area, it's like, it was a small area, right? Obviously it had influence from, from Europe and other places in the, in the globe, but you can see that like, now we have the ability to organize on whole new levels. And so we said, you know, the create original, creative renaissance that was a patronage model right the medici family paid artists 
you know, like scientists, like mathematicians, like just all kinds of human, human endeavors, architecture, Brunelleschi's dome. Um, and a creative could work on a project for 50 years and not have to worry about where like the food was gonna come from on the table. And so we're just going, wow, just that way of organizing creativity is way more profound than what the model feels like today, right? And then we took that, we took a long look and we said, well, how is all of creative capital being harnessed in the world today? If that was patronage, what is it today? And we took that hard look and said, well, all of creative capital is really being briefed by the corporate side of an entity, right? It's, it's a, and you look back at that model and it's a 140 year old model started by Frederick Winslow Taylor, Taylorism led to the industrial revolutions. And so we really think that there's this pressure building within this like web two mindsets and the old industrial revolution mindsets that's like ready to burst from a creative perspective. Um, and so we asked 300 creatives, no matter where they worked in the industry or, or whether you know it was transportation design, product design, UI, UX, like whatever, any kind of design skill, and then any kind of entity type, right? Like the biggest organizations in the world, the Googles, Apple, Teslas, Nike, Adidas, Under Armour, right? Wine and Kennedy, IDEO. And we asked them all, what percentage of your creative ability is utilized in your day job? And it only came back at like 20%. The whole industry, some total globally, was saying that creativity is only being harnessed in this antiquated system at 20%. So medium, is the alternative to try to harness this lost 80% of creativity in the world. And all we, the way that we do that is by applying web three tools at the, the source of creation, right? The people that can generate new ideas and value in the world without needing to like take on capital first, right? Like we can do it, by ourselves. And now we can just, instead of this corporate patronage model of all this creativity being stuck in that system, we think that like medium obviously is what we built, but just the whole concept of web three DAOs, distribution of wealth and power and equality and all those great words, we really built medium for 2035. We, we gave ourselves a 15 year head start and we're now three years into this mission and we've built what we think is the infrastructure, multi-blockchain, like I'm not gonna talk about all the tech on this one, I'm a designer. So, but, but you get the point, we built a whole new infrastructure to bring ideas to market. Fantastic, I, I love the, the point that you made there about the, uh, the renaissance like when you when you think back to the renaissance there were, there was two things that was going on you had this massive creative revolution that was happening at the same time as what amounted to being a financial revolution with the medici banking system and the medici banking system ultimately ended up forming the foundation of the financial system that we all exist in today which is also being challenged by these web3 technologies so we've got this wonderful kind of time is a flat circle thing going on here with all of this stuff coming together at the same time as awesome uh, i think the... but isn't that like i mean isn't that i think that that's where like we get our optimism from you know because we see a much better future and it's not that we see it it's that 
we've built the infrastructure for that future. And like after three years of like keeping this whole thing a secret, we're now starting this month, right? Like starting to tell people about it because, um, you know, and, and, but that gets back to the decentralization roadmap, right? We kind of think you gotta have like a sharp point of view. And then over time, you know, you in, in our case, we think that our community is such high level thinkers that we trust them more so like, I'm a CEO that, that, that quite frankly, doesn't believe in that position. So that's where, you know, coming back to the intro, it just sometimes um, as the leader of a DAO, right? You have, to, um, you have to do everything that a startup has to do, but the expectations are like tenfold, right? And so it's, it's not easy, but, but if you just take the leap of like not trying to link yourself to like web two principle, just start with a clean slate, then, you know, we're saying we'll, we'll decentralize, we're doing all these things, but, you know, we kind of feel sometimes like the, the space is to mature also, right? Like we've got to see what the regulatory system does. Um, but, but kind of contrary to, to, the, to the person that you just talked about, um, we're coming from the side of like working for multi-billion dollar companies, having earned these companies billions of dollars and, 10x their businesses and like all this stuff and you know 60,000 global employees so like to say that you're just going to replace all that with a DAO from the beginning we don't think so right we're like hey let's just organize first let's test some of these principles and if you're building something for such long term you can you can kind of be patient right like we want to get this right not be the first to do x to just grab a headline Mm. So, I mean, you're you're coming at us from the from the perspective of the of these massive multinational organisations, where, as you say, like you're making these organisations billions of dollars with what it is that you are doing, and from like an outside perspective, one would kind of imagine that being quite a satisfying place to be from like a professional standpoint. So, was there an impetus? Like, was there a, a spark that kind of led you to to thinking about this in in this way that you're thinking about it now? Because I imagine that there was probably a bit of a, a perspective shift at some point. And I'm curious as to what caused that perspective shift. Interestingly enough, I wouldn't call it a perspective shift, okay? Because I would call it a perspective evolution. Mm. Um, you know, I've never used that term before, but thinking about like that, there was never a moment in time where a perspective shifted. And because I actually trace the roots back to this, you know, with my brother, like my brother and I were co-founders here. He's been on the design side for about 20 years himself, creative director, um, kind of all the digital side and I've been on product and innovation and scaling technologies in the world, like 3D printed footwear and things like that. Um, and so you can kind of see, this is the first time that we're actually working together, but we've built kind of this whole new system all the way meshing all the tools of web two, I mean, sorry, web three with the concepts of DAOs uh, and starting it from a perspective where to date we haven't taken on any capital, right? So this is really important to us. Like we're not DAO purist from a perspective of code, right? Like code is gonna like rule the world. 
uh, we believe in, in kind of a more human future. Um, and, and, and DAOs are just this, this new mechanism, right, that allows organizations to be started, even if it's not a pure DAO up front, right? Like that's why we're giving ourselves time to get this right. Um, then you, you can just always work from like a really pure perspective. And so we built this kind of elaborate system, but our business is really simple from the perspective is that we just ask like, hey, does this tool add value to like a top creative or a top innovator or to our community? Um, and, and that's, you know, that's where you, we, you, you free of all the, the web two principles of like every decision having to be pushed through this way. So we worked for big organizations. We worked in the web two, we drove businesses and built brands, right. With like celebrities and athletes and anything from professional skaters, snowboarders, like rappers, basketball, MVP of the league, like all this stuff. But we always did it kind of under the umbrella of a big corporation. And um, when you look at it, what the shift to Web3 really means to us is like all those Web3 tools, we're three years into this. Like we didn't build this because the tech came along, right? We had the use case and now there's applications of the technology. And so rather than like the DeFi solutions, right? That are kind of easy to do. We're not asking people to just contribute money. We're asking them to like come together as a community and just contribute value to one another, right? So that's where rather than all of this creative capital being stuck in these corporations where there's artificial walls put up between creatives, legal walls and NDAs and like, you get in trouble maybe if you if you talk to your friend about the wrong thing, right? Like you end up in court. Um, and we believe that that's a way to try to control creativity. And it's only getting, you know, about 20% of creativity out of people. So we're like, hey, how do you use, you know, for three years, we've been just asking this community, what do you, like, what's the future of the design industry? What's the future of how you want to work? We love the phrase, design entrepreneurship, right? So we're really set up for hopefully people to start new businesses and new brands. And that's where you see uh, celebrities, influencers, athletes can start their own brand rather than going to like somebody else's brand and just being the face of their brand of a marketing campaign and only getting like 5% royalty on their product. It's like, Nah, you can do it all now for yourself and build equity into your name. Um, and, and all you have to do is create value for your followers and the people that already appreciate your point of view. And now there's just a whole bunch of ways to start to monetize that. Uh, it's, uh, it's fantastic. I mean, this is the, the, the kind of the big thing that the Web3 technologies allow is disintermediation. It's a, a way for you to connect directly with your fan base, directly with your community, directly with a community of like-minded individuals, whereby you will be able to <laughs> expend more of your creativity than just like the ceiling of 20%. And I think that what you, you mentioned there around um, design entrepreneurship, I mean, one of the, the things that we were talking about before we before we hit record was the this idea of empowering entrepreneurship. And I imagine that I'm, I mean, I'm not coming at this from a design background. I have a 
professional history as long as one's arm and nothing in that history is anything design related so i've got <laughs> i'm completely naive in that well, regard cool. but i cool. so, uh, yeah i mean we like uh part of our job right is is to teach design uh. i mean that's like if you want we're trying we're design advocates like full stop like you you can see all these other things that we're doing but if you really want to know why we exist is because we're designers we felt the frustrations of working in this kind of antiquated system where the end consumer like never got to see a pure concept at market. Like it would always, a concept would get like chewed up and the sales people would say, oh, we need it to be this market. And, you know, it was just this, there was, um, there was the bureaucracy that any mm -hmm. idea had to move through before the end consumer can realize it. And we have just moved, removed that bureaucracy. And you asked me about like, what was like the evolution of these concepts when we traced it back, like there's elements that we were thinking about 20 years ago, right? And so that's why I say it's an evolution because, uh, you know, I dropped, out of, I dropped out of design school, right? And I went out and snowboarded in Breckenridge and did that and went back to school. Um, industrial design, and I dropped out because I, I realized that in the industrial design profession, like designs packaging. And in my eyes, I'm like, wait a minute, all this, all this creativity is like literally being used to design trash in the world. Like not the thing people want, but the packaging around the thing people want. And so you can see like these perspectives were kind of hitting us back in like literally 2000, right? Um, and, and so anyways, I figured out what I wanted to do with life and get back into like what I loved about product design. And so I went back, I finished up and then went and worked for the state government of North Carolina, design, doing graphic design, designing a new recycling campaign. And it was because I felt like at least my design intentions could try to create something good. Like the design that I put in could try to create good social impact, right? In terms of you know, upping, you know, because I'm in the industry of creating trash, right? Then it's like, well, I want to make sure that, 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 that once we produce trash, that we're doing things circular, right? Good okay, design is always a yep. circular mindset. Um, so cradle, cradle to cradle rather than cradle to grave, where you just throw it away at the end. There's always got to be some sort of other use case once this use case has, has died out. Um, and so you can see there, we were kind of focusing on literally like design, intended for good, right? And so you can kind of follow this all the way through. Um, and so what I found like working in that corporate patronage environment is that I could never really inject those personal values into projects, right? Because they're a system built on efficiency and in, in squeaking out like profits. And it's like, if you design it once, you make a quarter million of those shoes, right? And so in my eyes, it's like, we're not just making one decision, we're making like a quarter million decisions. And as a professional designer, what we're trying to do to move the design profession to like the architects of the industry, right? At the kind of the top and make sure that we're seeing projects all the way through to completion. Um, we have to take on the like those real challenges of our profession right we have to own and so for so long 
I even justified to myself, like, oh, I'm creating these things and I expect recycled materials. But at the end of the day, if it, you know, that material was five cents more per unit, it was going to get stripped out. Right. So it was just like, man, you never, you set these intentions, but you realize you don't have the power to get those ideas purely through. And, and so now if we are actually trying to elevate, you know, we're really inspired by what the architecture industry did in the US, like, 60 or so years ago where they elevated themselves they set kind of the industry standards and, and they got sign off on things right they got kind of final say and so that's really medium's kind of principle is that we're just reorganizing all this collective talent um, and letting them we're giving the power to them and let them decide how they want to self-govern right so we have some ideas about self-governance ourselves but like it's going to be the community that comes to some sort of agreement and consensus amongst them, you know, we'll be involved in the conversation. But um, you can see over time, this is a community that we really trust to take on, you know, take up the mantle and make some really big kind of century long decisions. Hmm. And you mentioned, I mean, education and and looking to, to hand this off to the community. And one of the features of your community being that this community is incredibly well informed. As the community grows and as your educational initiatives kind of increase in scope and scale and maybe you end up with less, not necessarily less well-informed members of the community, but members of the community who don't necessarily bring the same perspective because maybe they're approaching design from a non-traditional background. Um, what does that what what do you you envisage that governance process kind of looking like whereby you have views that maybe wouldn't be your kind of normal perspective on things but they are still valid because they've been included in the community are you asking me my opinion on that mm, yeah so what would your opinion be on that <laughs> my opinion would be ask the community what their opinion is right like i think that like that's not my decision like yeah. i mean i can tell you what my opinion is and how we're setting this up right i guess that's fair so let's just take it from that perspective so right now uh yes long term we're thinking long term so right now we're organizing around the world's top talent right so we're not saying that we're decentralized right now we are permissioned okay so we know who this top talent is that's coming into the community and they're vetted essentially, right? And in the vetting process, that's not a laborious process. You just have to show us that like you can execute an idea. So that's where we say professional designers, it kind of sets the tone for, hey, if this is a peer group of professional designers, it's like, would you hire that person to work directly with you? Do you trust them on that peer level to do business with that person? That's the type of environment and community that this is set up to do. So peer to peer, it's like this trusted environment that you know anybody in the system, like you can, you know, I mean, they're, they're humans, but you can, they, they have something to show that they're able to execute. So if you hired them, if you pulled them into your project as a peer, you could trust that they're going to like do their job, right? Uh, and then you can divvy up percentages of those profits like instead of paying people. So now you can build these collective teams with all these different skill sets. And rather than organizing all of those skill sets around like an entity, that takes too long. Like it takes a long time to like found an entity and get the trademarks and all that stuff. So we're really trying to protect 
ideas and concepts and new brands like at the source, right? So that's where we're kind of realists from the Dow perspective of like, we're operating all within the current US regulatory system, right? So like we are stayed so clear. We think other people are doing shady stuff and you know they're, they're creating speculation vehicles with NFTs and all of that. We don't do that because, um, because already what we do is like completely transparent, right? So like just stay on the right side, let some of their regulatory um, concepts develop, right? We know Wyoming is a, you know, is a state that rep represents DAOs, but you know, probably in the next five years, a lot of states will start doing this once you know, they start seeing the pressure mechanism that it puts on like standard corporations. Mm -hmm. uh, for sure and i i think there was there was something quite interesting um that you that you mentioned there um that kind of got me thinking have you found that there has been any one particular kind of sub school of design that has been more receptive to to the to your ideas than others or has it been kind of a, a universal um kind of not so much acceptance but like a universal seeing of the value that you are seeking to create here Education is, is always what we do, right? So as an innovator, that's like, that's, that's our obligation. You can't innovate something new and then just expect people to know how to use it, right? Or, or what the use case is. Um, and I think that that's kind of what's unique about where we come from being brand people, product people. Like we are, are used to putting use cases in front of people. Um, and so, but for three years we've built infrastructure. So it's been like theory based for a lot of people, not for us because we've actually, there's a tangible infrastructure now. Um, but now we're kind of turning that corner, right? Of uh, talking about it, starting to display these use cases. And so we'll, you'll start to see how communities and in our niche is really kind of in the footwear industry right it's in the hype industry it's creating it's like all these brands and product that people adore yet they're just consumers of and the big shift here is that these consumers will not just be consumers of product from a for-profit business they will not just be consumers of product directly from the athlete or top designer they love, but they will own a business. They will own equity in the whole business of founding, you know, new brands and new concepts in the world. Um, and at that point, it's just, you know, fair market dynamics of supply and demand and making sure that you're always creating value for the community. Um, and, you know, we're obviously just dead set on creating value for the design profession. Um, but then when you think long term, to wrap up your, your previous question, was that we are training the whole next generation of designers, right? So we're not the biggest fan of current establishment university education settings. You and me both. <laughs> like, you know, like once you work for state government and you're like, wow, I worked for like the department of environment and natural resources. And there was less bureaucracy there than there was in a corporation. And it's just like, you know, like that's how far like antiquated I think that system is. And so what we did was just like clean break. 
those are the people that are creating all the value. And, and, and now we, the creatives, we trust the creatives have so many more values, right? Like we start to inject things that we see at, like sustainability or equality or these great things, tearing down the isms and allowing just people and individuals to come together to create value. Um, and, and so we, you know, education is a big part of that, right? Because we're training, we're trying to retrain a whole generation from the mindsets that they have to go and get the internship. Like that's the only way to get any education to go or to go from education to experience. And we're going, no, we've got the world's best creatives and they'll directly, directly, most creatives want to share their education and share knowledge freely and teach. So we just set up mentorship programs and apprenticeship programs and, and training that next class. So once they get out of a formal education situation, they're entering into an environment where they don't have to always go work in house somewhere to get that experience because only like one person out of every hundred applicants are actually going to be accepted. So we're like, okay, 99% of people, they might have good ideas. They might be the next innovator or whatever. So like, how do you also get them real world experience? And that looks like partnerships, mentorships, like pros that might be designing with the, you know, with the world's best rappers or celebrities or YouTubers, but they get pulled into the conversation just to be able to be on the phone and hear the comp like hear how that design pitch was pitched like that has so much educational value from somebody that has kind of just came from an exclusively like traditional education background uh, I, I mean the traditional education background will get you so far but that that ceiling will be the 20 percent of your creative output so i mean in order to unlock that extra 80 percent like you have to do you have to do something different and i think this is this is the thing that the web3 enables um is we like just because something has always been done one way historically is kind of generally tended to mean that it's because that is the best way to do it and that's the only way to do it but with technology and with what blockchain and web3 enables that question is something that can be asked again and i think there is a tremendous amount of value which we don't like you don't know what you don't know and there are so many innovative ways to organize around something and educate around something using this technology that nobody need nobody's even thought about yet so hearing that this is what you're doing i mean it it sounds like an internship on steroids like you're you're on a phone with all of these amazing like high level designers who have this massive amount of influence as like a complete junior to the industry that will be like that must be absolutely mind-blowing <laughs> exactly i mean because i think that for three years, we built a system to just create as much value as possible for every piece of the system, right? So we cherry pick the best parts, right? In our eyes, the creatives are the best part. And then also people that have marketing bases, you know, that are that that already have an audience that might have a bunch of viewers or a bunch of followers, but they haven't really figured out how to like monetize and build like their brand, right? They have like a brand identity, but they haven't yet like 
looked at all the ways to start to monetize those things. And here it's just like, okay, well, if you're an athlete or a celebrity, you have a brand identity, you have a personal brand that you've curated over the last 10 years. Um, now, like you can actually just pair with the world's best creatives to start your own footwear brand, right? And this is kind of where, you know, I, I, we're not always, just because we're a DAO and we believe in open source, we also know that we have to protect some of our IP until it's oh, right, yeah, for sure. you know? Um, and so I can't really talk about everything we're doing in the footwear space other than to say that there's people in this community, you know, myself in, included that have um, scaled 3D printing and footwear to, you know, pretty large successful programs. Um, and so, you know, uh, but, but we're flipping it, right? Because it's using all the web three stuff versus the web two stuff. And that's where you get to like, profit margin, like you don't need volume anymore, right? And I think that that's a big shift with Web3 is that you go like Web2 businesses always needed scales of economy, right? They always needed to get to high volumes to pay off amortization of all the cost, you know, that went into a project. And, you know, some people say, hey, Medium's just really clever organizers, which is kind of a funny way of saying it. Also, people call us a design super union that like, if you don't know what a DAO is, it's like, oh, we're a design super union. And then all of a sudden people go, oh, I get it. Like you're just organizing kind of on the behalf of a collective talented group of people. Right. And we only exist as a service to them. And we're always trying to give profits back because we don't have outside investors, right? Uh, so there's really nobody outside of the system to please other than the community. Um, so this is where we see like that trigger being that like, if a lot of web two businesses are just middle people, they're just organizations that capitalize on other people's creations or other people's talent or other people's reputation. And they like marketing deals with those people because then that gives them kind of credibility within a sector. But in this whole bold new future, like that marketing person, the, the asset, right? The, we don't like to call individuals assets. We don't really like the talent management word sometimes, but, but you know, that, that talent, the person that is has something of value that other people appreciate now can not just tap into the world's best creatives, but they can tap into things like infrastructure and like on-demand manufacturing and direct to market. And, and, and all of this is blockchain enabled. And so it gets to the internet of things. And you see that we're linking up so many of these technologies and it's all being driven purely from the perspective of, of the community. And that's like how, you know, to this point, this is kind of the interesting part of being a DAO founder or quote unquote, an interim CEO is that sometimes, I, like this is where like the, the progressive decentralization model is kind of beneficial that it's like, okay, I can actually make a unilateral decision. And we've made unilateral decisions up to this point because nobody even knew Medium existed, right? But 
I want the collective input. Like it doesn't, like it doesn't make sense. The centralization itself does not make sense. And so we just see, like, thank you for, for hosting this podcast because um, we really just see that like all these web two businesses are just gonna be replaced with DAOs. It's a matter of who's gonna build those DAOs and how much value can they provide to their community? So rather than we have to scale everything, you really get to kind of start to micro target communities and say, well, what do they want? You know, like what, like how would they make decisions? And it, it could be a hundred thousand people it doesn't need to be a hundred million people, right? And so to us, that adds diversity in the marketplace. It offers micro solutions. People will have access to things just on an individual level. And we're trying to carve out those public spaces. So, you know, rather than all of this like AI and, and everything falling into the hands of people who are already wealthy or who already run the Web2 businesses, we're saying, no, there has to be a counterweight, like which looks like a public option of like individuals still being able to access AI and, and drive these things. And that's where we're really excited about like the open sourceness of this and starting to come in and, um, you know, when we get patents, like we, like anybody in our system can use them, right? Like you start thinking collectively um, and it flips all the decision-making, all the macro economic situations, the whole flow of value, or even redefining what is value in an industry. And it becomes to us, that's why we're so optimistic because it starts to inject way more humanistic approaches, right? And so some people think the future looks like robots and stuff. Um, and yes, it does. Um, but it also uh, to us, like, we're fighting for the human species here, right? Come on, yeah. like, I mean, this is to, to get to better enlightenment, to, to better solutions in the world and um, making sure that, that the value that's created is going back to those creators. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like the, the Web2 businesses, or like, I agree, the majority of them are gonna be replaced with DAOs. And to, to add to what you were saying about the, the value model and like the, the ultimately the business model being flipped on its head this whole notion of kind of product market fit um doesn't really fit in the same way because it's not necessarily like product market fit it's like community dao fit now like there will be a dao which and it could be a micro dao it could be a macro dao it could be whatever well, to, that me, will be... to me you said dao and community but to me those are the same thing yeah right? the dao is just the organization it's the community yeah. organization so i guess what i would say maybe is um, like concepts and, and distributed mindset, like, uh, like ideas yeah. of like product or, or, you know, we, we operate in the digital world, the physical world, as well as the experiential world. as designers. We, we literally work in programs in all of the spaces. Right. So to us, it's all the same thing. Um, but maybe, maybe, maybe the two words would be value and community, right? Yeah. Maybe those might be a better because it's the community's values and it's just being organized to bring the value in what, you know, however it's organized in terms of those values 
the morals, maybe we separate mm-hmm. words a little bit and go, hey, the morals, the missions of the group, the shared, um, the shared experiences, right? Or, or why ever this group is coming together. Now that mission paints every decision that's made by that organization. And I guess that's where we kind of love the concept of not injecting outside capital, but that's also where some people don't take us seriously until we have like a stamp of approval from like injuries and Horowitz. And it's like, yeah, but we don't kind of want that web to money, right? Like that's like a centralized VC. So, you know, we're just meeting some really cool, amazing people like, uh, you know, Ben, thanks. Like you introduced us over to the, the Dow launch team and Reza. Um, so like we're interested in, in those types of solutions. And so that's really interesting about launching a DAO. It's like launching a startup, but the standards are so much higher and the divisions are so much longer that we want to really consider each and every dollar that we take on and really almost get feedback from the community and go, hey, you know, we've tapped out at this amount of, of um, service that we're able to provide. Either we need to start raising money here, start monetizing this to, you know, get the, the financial system jump started and making sure that everybody in the system is then, you know, all the contributors are, are being able to live a completely different creative life and future, uh-huh. right? So it's a lot of theory, but what we're, you know, experts at is like scaling theory and innovation and making it, you know, practical. So that's where we're exciting here. Really excited about the next few months and this next phase of Medium is that you're going to start seeing the applications and the use cases, right? And we haven't tokenized yet. Like we're not in a hurry. We will, you know, we can do all that. But um, we think too many times people just inject money yeah, do like token launches. And here you can see that we're really trying to create value for, for humans to kind of live and feel as if they have a brighter future and that they have the ability to tap into that 80% of lost creativity. You know, it's, it's not easy living and operating in a system that only kind of realizes about 20% of what you can do if we as creatives really internalize what we do and we kind of exist in the world based on what we create. And if they're kind of stifling us from being able to just even create peer to peer, like you don't need a client, right? Sure, we can service clients um, and we're really good at that, right? And you could come in and choose like one creative director and they could sub out all the work or somebody could come in and pick all the team, right? And build this team. Um, And now you can build it in profit percentages and stuff like that. So rather than just cash payment, you got like committed teams, right? But uh, like like Reza, what Reza and team over at Dow Launch are doing, it's like, yeah, we need new funding options for this whole new kind of type of um, structure and organization. And I think that... What I get a little gun shy is, is pulling that trigger without really engaging the community to understand, you know, what it does for the organization, how that value is going to come back to them. And, and, you know, and then ultimately, I guess, you know, we're a little gun shy and essentially want some sort of sign off from, and just go like, yeah, that feels right. Right. Like go for it. Right. Like we'll, we're backing, we're backing you. Right. Because that's where, you know, if we're building it for them, 
we didn't build it to make all these decisions ourselves. But we have to in the short term to get it all set up and then we can start to hand over that power and the funds and tokenizations and, and start to incentivize that, right? And so I think this is also a really important way to um, kind of draw a little bit of a contrast against those other financial DeFi DAOs, right? That we talked about a little bit earlier is that we're, we're building around community um, and they're the ones that will inject their values, right? So like you ask, like, how do you, how do you make decisions? Like, what if you have somebody in this system that like is a nefarious actor or something like that, right? Or, a, or you want to say a bad designer and not a professional, but they hack their way in or like whatever, like whatever you want to call it, um, you know, like we'll, you, you know, we'll make the unilateral decision if we're forced to, you know, to make that sharp decision. But the way we would even make that decision is like, what's the most transparent, equal way to do this because we're setting precedent, right? So we always wanna make sure that some of these really hard decisions, like on face value, it's like, oh yeah, like people are like, just take the money, just take the money, like, you know? And it's like, yeah, but you know, in our eyes, it's always what strings are attached to that money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like, do, do they understand the model of a DAO so much that they're not going to like get in and try to centralize it and undercut the whole thing of what they invested in in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's going to be the the big thing going forward because there were, I mean, there are loads of DAOs popping up now, but I think a lot of people are one using DAO as a buzzword is like, okay, my initial use case has run out of momentum. Um, we're now a DAO because that's going to help bring some more people into whatever token platform protocol this may be. And then two, starting off with the best of intentions, but not necessarily knowing, for example, as you said, what strings were attached to any deals that were being made. And then the, the fundamental vision of whatever the project may have been being lost because of the outsized influence that anyone with funds does end up having over a project. So I think the fact that you guys have taken what, three years to get to this stage before you're even starting to like talk about what it is that you are doing. I think that's uh, the, uh, definitely the best way to do it. But it does lead me to my next question of why now? You've been building this for three years kind of under the radar, why now? Oh, for a number of reasons. Yeah, for a number of reasons. Um, one, I think the world is catching up with these concepts, right? I mean, the fact that like you're, you have a podcast that's dedicated to DAOs, right? Like when did you start this podcast? Oh, the idea for this was probably six months or so ago. And it took me a little while to do it because again, it felt like it wasn't the right time to do it just yet. So, <laughs> uh, okay. Okay. Well, I guess, yeah, what you're kind of getting at, I guess, when is the right time to maybe mm. make these shifts and these pivots and um, our advice there is that you don't have to rush. You know, and, and, and we're talking to people that are really working on some really amazing projects from a DAO perspective. Um, but our history and the way that we've operated in the industry is that I'm really comfortable working on like the minimum timeline that a project I, I've done in my career is like 18 months, right? But some of these projects are three-year projects. And then sometimes I'm working five or seven years out in innovation. Okay. So to me, like 
three years is like a rapid amount of time because what we really did is we tried to build something for 2035. And somehow because of, you know, the minds, like we've started building this before COVID, right? So we were already thinking about how to, to organize collective global capital and um, create programs for them to even just manage projects and make sure that each party is legally protected. So really what we're trying to do is like mediums like this massive like IP protection machine is kind of the way we see it, right? Because it's a community of people that create the IP from scratch. But in the corporate patronage model, when I work in that office, before it even comes out of my head and is out on paper on the computer, it's like the ownership of the company I work for. And so what we're saying, and I had this conversation today also with a creative, I'm like, no, 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 don't post it on Instagram. Like just register it, just put it on the blockchain, throw in an IPFS, timestamp that you're the authentic owner of this thing. So we just encourage creatives and, and innovators to like create an NFT, but you don't have to sell that NFT, right? Like you can just timestamp things. And so we think that these old industries, the old industrial revolution, the, um, the governance model of patents, right? In the enforcement of royalties through courts, we're not thinking, we're not so far on the Dow side that we think we're going to create a decentralized organization that's never going to be governed by any governing body, right? And instead we're going, well, right now we're an S corp. We qualify as a B corp, but right now, like until DAOs get, you know, better preferential treatment from the government, like why would we rush towards that, right? Like some of these things, Bitcoin is what, over 12 years old or whatever, and the government's still trying to figure it out. Um, but we have kind of built our system to always try to stay on the right side of the SEC, right? We don't kind of use NFTs as a asset. It's just a vehicle for assets, right? It's just a vehicle for use cases and applications and those things, right? So um, when, when you think that like, this is the community. And so we tried to have these conversations at the executive level with these mega billion dollar corporations. And they just didn't, care to even acknowledge that this is a future possibility, right? And so it's like, okay, well, we told you so, um, but it, we were never to, able to change those systems from the inside. And that's why we figured like clean break. So three years ago, Sean and I founders left our day jobs. We've been focusing on this and building this infrastructure quietly because it's a process. Like it was, there's a lot of new ideas and we're thinking about things in the flow of like macroeconomics and how to legally protect IP at its source and, and then be able to cross pollinate ideas, right? Designers are great, but we want to cross pollinate con like engineers in the automotive world with a designer, right? Like people that are, are of completely different thinking because we think the world's most innovative ideas are usually when worlds collide rather than the way that the corporations kind of set up these really siloed businesses and they're really meant to keep worlds from colliding. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think the, there is a, 
a resistance to the to the ideas around web3 at higher levels of decision making at the moment and we we mentioned this briefly earlier before we started recording of this this idea of like there is a, a vested interest that certain individuals in traditional corporate structures um traditional more like web two organizations to to not understanding like what is going on to to like and it, it could be willful ignorance it could be a case of like i don't want to understand this because this threatens my worldview so building quietly in the background and like taking the clean break as you say like doing the thing that everyone says you should have like trying to change things from the inside and then like knowing when to cut your losses to a degree and it's not even cutting your losses because it's the sudden freedom of like the 80 percent of lost creativity which you're just not able to tap into yeah like like to us like i mean i've you know i you know i've led teams of like 35 designers globally and stuff and um I guess it's really like there's a there's a real heart and soul to what we are doing. And because we've been creatives in that corporate patronage model um, and somebody that kind of was coming from the corporate side challenged me and was like, oh, Jesse, put your big point, put your big pant, your big boy pants on and like just get over it. Stop playing the victim. Um, and like I was like. Wow, nobody like the fact that that like 99.9% of creatives globally, like of the 300 people we asked, like it was a consistency rate of 99. Like, I think there might have been five people out of 300 that gave an amount of creativity higher than 20%. Usually they were white men in very high positions already, right? Where they were like, oh, I can do any project I want. Right, they have all the resources and the money and and the talent too. Right, really talented people. Um, but it's not a victimhood thing. This is like putting like this is like if if I was seeking normal startup cash, this person would go like, I got thirty people to connect you to, right? Because they're gonna want in because we're creating all this value. But the fact that we're going, no, we want to decentralize it all. All of a sudden that really undercuts everything that person knows of the industry. And so humans, yes, naturally we're threatened by things we just don't understand. And I guess that's why Medium takes this um, keen like leadership perspective within this space to teach, to just go, there are new ways of doing these things now. And they're not theory-based, they are real and they're they're like real ways to give individuals the power and you know i worked in those organizations and you would hear those buzzwords like people over profits we're going to do something good we're going to do a charity event this month while we love that and encourage that at all costs actually 10x your costs that you spend on that but we think that like actually being embedded within these communities and let them not just make decisions, but contribute their values and their missions and let them be the recipients of all that value back. And so that's where it, why did it take this long? 
because uh, kind of, I guess, because we built something in 15 years, we, we built what we thought was going to be 15 years and we built it in three years because things like COVID happened, right? So the world shut down and all we did was just like, rather than launching, we were like, just build more value, more value, more value, more value, solve more problems, right? And <clears throat> now is the time when Medium's actually ready and, and you saw the blossoming of mindsets around NFTs last year, right? You're starting to see the acceptance, at least within the people that I think are driving the future of the world, the acceptance of these concepts of a DAO and the fact that like even, even giving us space to go, yes, you're a DAO, your intentions are, are, are to be a pure DAO and decentralize as much as possible. But like people in the industry are like in the DAO industry are telling us, slow down. Like just, yes, like the best thing to do is to like start as centralization, like just make really sharp, like just focus on building the value for the community, then start, you know, displaying that value and engaging the community so that they understand, you know, because quite frankly, like talking about it for three years in theory hasn't got us that far, right? Like, and we're designers, we hate selling things that like people can't yet like experience and right now we finally built that infrastructure that is able to take on um behind the scenes some really kind of complex relationships uh that is kind of like the network side but try to make it like really easy for people to use, right? Like, you know, we we are always scaling these technologies. So that's why we're like tech agnostic and we just adopt and, and we say, hey, any creative, you can, you can mint on like a variety, you know, right now we've got like four different blockchains, we're always adding them, right? And then you can pay in cryptocurrency, but also like, you know, for people that are like launching their first NFT, they're like, my audience doesn't know how to go and buy ether can they pay in like with a credit card in USD, US dollar? And we're like, yeah, sure, I guess if that's gonna help like the adoption of the technology and people are gonna start to experience, oh, I've got a wallet now and I know what it's like to own an NFT. Like there's this kind of onboarding process that we take a lot of responsibility in, right? And so that's where we're trying to always teach and onboard and educate and train um, because quite frankly, there's so many more possibilities in this space than we can even take advantage of. So we see all these new business models and <clears throat> if somebody's not doing something in the DAO space, we're like, how can we support you to start that DAO because we can't, right? So like, that's kind of the, the kind of approach to, to the DAO industry that we have. And so we're really interested in building DAO to DAO relationships even, and, and starting to see how these things really interoperate. Um, and so for any of your listeners out there, if anybody is in this space that uh, is really driving DAO to DAO relationships, uh, would love to get in touch because there's really cool things as long as it provides value to our community, whether it's like, you know, DAO launch, like, oh, we can fund projects. Okay, great. This is the community that's going to start projects all the time. Or whether it's a strategy DAO, right? Like, oh yeah, you've got people that have talent and launching NFTs. Our community wants to probably tap into that, right? So we start to see um, what we built as really unique in that like everybody else is not a competitor. Everybody else is a potential collaborator.
That's fantastic. And I think that's the, the mindset shift that the Web3 is really bringing about is that not everyone is a competitor. Like everyone is, has the potential for being a collaborator. And it's this idea that instead of focusing on making your slice of the pie bigger, you increase the slice of the pie and then everyone gets to eat more anyway. So, and I, it, yeah, I think it's fantastic yeah, so it's, what you guys are doing. Well, well I, appreciate, I appreciate that because, um, you know, we're, we are coming from this place of like, of like experiencing the frustration firsthand. And it's like a community of people and it's, it's not people that are victims. Like, and that's where I kind of take, these are literally the people that like reconstruct industries and we're doing it with them. So like, if anybody's a victim, um, you know, we think it's probably going to be some businesses. Uh, for sure. And in terms of then the use cases, um, you mentioned that you've got multi-chain capability with your um, purchasing of NFTs and that sort of thing. Um, in terms of like, what you guys are working on at the moment, there's stuff that you can't talk about. Fair enough. Um, what can you talk about? Yeah, so so uh, let's see. Yeah, so again, we're really respectful of IP. Right. So like, I guess uh, this was an interesting conversation. So let me, before I answer, I'll answer your question a little bit more directly, but let me just set something up here. Um, you know, I had this conversation with like somebody that's more of a, a DAO purist and they kind of uh, saw the future as a place where it's really hard to enforce IP. Um, that like, if you're, there's these decentralization models, um, like who ultimately is going to govern and enforce IP rules? Well, all of our IP is enforceable right now, like, you know, by legal contracts within the government structure. So when we're producing these contracts, right, it's not just a smart contract for the future. It's like, hey, let's divide up profits on an actual like partnership, like a legal partnership agreement, right? So like, we're kind of like telling you, like just protect your own IP, protect your project. And then once your IP is protected, creatives want to go out and actually proliferate their IP, right? So instead of like me thinking that you're a competitor, if I know I'm pretty secure in that my IP has been protected and time stamped and that I'm going to be able to prove in court, via the blockchain that I own this thing. Well, now I want to proliferate it. And I'm going to want to find all of those people that could like find use cases for the thing that I created. And I want them to be using my IP because I'm going to even not just getting like royalties off of NFTs that sell, but if it's a, if a, in our eyes, like a creative can create one thing and, and you can splice and dice the creative rights to that one thing. So you could sell six NFTs. It's just like, this is the metaverse NFT, right? This is used for like manufacturing. This is used for like creating the rights to produce vinyl toys in the world. Like, you know what I mean? Like you can take a creation now and you can, as a creative, you can splice and dice these things. So you could just sell off a piece of the IP, even if you want to retain most of it, right? So now people, the flow is that like, as long as creatives, create something, whether it's peer to peer, right? I have a, I protected my concept. I put it on the blockchain, but I want to work with you, Ben. I want you on my project. I can go, Hey, I'll offer you 20% of this project and we'll just sign a legal contract that offers you 
not 20% of an entity, like an equity, but 20% of the profits off of the project, right? So <clears throat> these things are being organized on like more short-term projects, right? And there's like, it's not all this upfront risk to contribute your time because you don't have to wait like five, seven years for like an entity to IPO or something like that to cash out. These are really like NFTs that could launch next week if you had your shit together, right? So um, like, but then it also links to long-term royalties. Um, and so, you know, this kind of brings it up to like an interesting concept here. If, if we're really an organization that's meant to protect IP, um, there's some like challenging things that we see right now within the blockchain space where like if you're on like if you're mint, if you're a creative minting a token on ethereum um like we support ethereum we've got polygon layered on top you know but we just give options to creatives right it's like choose your own adventure you know we don't tell people what to do there's options you figure it out for yourself right but every blockchain is good for something else right um and so now as a as a as a creative minting uh, a collection or partnering with an athlete to launch a brand or a product, um, you know, something that's like a real real world thing, not just like a digital NFT. Um, like now all these agreements can happen like peer to peer and be done in like profit percentages. So now these people come together in a environment that's just conducive to ideas, right? We kind of think of it as the home court advantage for an idea. So we're like, yeah, do you need a funding source? Yeah, do you need developers? Yeah, do you need a strategy person? Yeah, like do you need to tap into manufacturing? Yeah, you hate invoicing clients. Yeah, their card will be on file and it'll just automatically transact into your digital wallet, right? So like, like from a design entrepreneur's perspective, it's really, difficult to be a design entrepreneur because you got to do high level design at the same time as be an entrepreneur and you're like competing with like full-time entrepreneurs and full-time designers and you're having to split your time so we've kind of built this whole new flow for for concepts and ideas and and value systems and communities to start to come together and then create whatever they want to in the future and it's all like blockchain protected and then like i said before it kind of can carry all the way through to physical product that then is also on chain. And we want to include things like nutrition facts, right? Like you see on a label of food, we think like ev everything should be so transparent that, you know, if we do a 3D printed shoe for, for a client, for an athlete or a celebrity, maybe like everybody that buys that product should know like the materials and like where they're coming from and who's who, like where all the profits are even going, who's receiving the returns off of all these things. Right. And so that's kind of our commitment is to, to uh, we've been kind of operating under this self pressure that we exerted on ourselves to hold Sean and I, the founders, literally in check to always try to make those decisions from a, a really clear perspective of providing value back to the community. Fantastic. And in terms of any products then that you've kind of been working on with this, with this new organizational structure, um, can you give me any examples? Yeah, yeah. So this is great. So, uh, so we are uh, we're about to drop a, an NFT collection. Um, 
and again, like we're at the intersections of things, right? So uh, we're at the intersections of kind of like design, the hype industry, sneakers, um, trying to bridge the gap between collectors of physical sneakers and trying to introduce them into like the NFT space and, and start to see the value of like an NFT versus just a physical thing and then start to see how the physical thing and the NFT actually are kind of the same thing. Um, and, 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 you know, there's just a series of kind of educational things that we have to do to um, really not turn people off because we're trying to like, it's really scary when you don't understand a technology, but hopefully you realize on this call, like I'm not trying to throw terminology at you, right? Because I'm always trying to kind of link to somebody who might just be hearing about this for the first time, right? And make it really tangible for them to go, oh yeah, I guess that doesn't really make sense. They're could be it like just to get them to think there could be a different way right that's the big pivot in other people you asked what our pivot was ours was more of evolution but we're trying to make that pivot in other people and so like this next project that we're dropping we teamed up with like six of the best sneaker customizers and we uh we got this uh this artist named uh almer abrea he's from uh stomper house is his studio I think he's at Stomper underneath underscore Hals, no E, just Hals. Um, and you'll see like, he does all this amazing artwork of these like uh, monster truck versions almost of shoes that everybody loves. And he did a couple of like the shoes that I designed like a Yeezy and, and like a Kanye or a Dame shoe. And so that's how I kind of got to know him a few years back. So on this project, he designed uh, this 3D version of uh, Jagger Eaton. Jagger Eaton's kind of like the best skater in the world right now. He just won the street league. He won like third at Tampa Pro and third like bronze in Tokyo at the Olympics. First ever medal on skateboarding. And so like uh, Stomper took his shoe, made this sculpture, and then we 3D printed these sculptures and then we sent them to six of the best sneaker customizers, uh, you know, most importantly, not most importantly, but most well-known, Mosh, you know, at Mosh275. Uh, if you don't know him, you know, he's got a half a million followers. I think, you know, a lot of, you know, in the, the industry wrap-ups at the end of last year and the, the best sneaker of the year, like a lot of people, um, he launched his own shoe and, and you know, he's getting accolades in the industry to say like, wow, that was the best launch of the year. And so now this is his foray into the digital space, into the NFT world. And rather than doing it by himself, he said, can I do it with my community? So he brought in these other customizers um, and they're each doing like these two pieces, like two different designs, um, six pieces total. And then we've got like custom boxes being made and, and just like Sick. all this really cool stuff. Uh, and then right now we just got all of the, those 3D prints back from the customizers. Actually, preview, here's Mosh. So Mosh, Mosh hey, sent me. Nice. Right. So we, we got his. Uh, and so I'm dropping these off after we wrap this up. Oh, it's actually three o'clock. I'm supposed to be at the 3D scanner so i gotta drop these off and um 3d scan them back in so now we have their they're obviously were created from a 3d file at the push of a button they became a physical thing we then got 
sneaker customizers like mosh is known for doing all of like the nfl cleats and stuff right all the cancer awareness like really doing amazing paint jobs on shoes now he just painted this 3d print and then we're going to bring it to you know to life as an nft you'll get like all the digital assets as well as you know the physical thing um and and we're linking these things together so high art and still realizing that there's need for physical things in the world. Um, But that's kind of where we're really different is that we match up all these digital experiences. And then we try to find innovation partners like AR, VR partners, people doing the most interesting things in the world and just go, don't you think it's beneficial that like you're in the same system and in the same network as the world's best creatives? Because they're the ones that are going to be like, innovating on your 3D printing machine or on your whatever your innovation is. Those are the people that are going to find the use cases and then take it up and bring it to market. Fantastic. And I think that's a, a perfect thing to, to finish on before I ask my last question. Um, let's go down a slightly philosophical rabbit hole to finish off, obviously, because we haven't gotten down enough of that so far. <laughs> let's like, in terms of the impact that you would like to see DAOs have on the world. What is that? Uh, really simply, distribute the future, right? Like we, we, we have this concept that we call forking the future, right? We think that right now the trajectory, um, and you know, this is even like an interesting conversation we're having with people like in Hollywood, like, like set, like, like designers that are like designing ghost in the shell environments or whatever. Right. And, and there's this conversation, uh, you know, that's happening at a really sophisticated high level of these designers kind of going, we've got to start depicting the future as brighter. Like we have to like show people that um, like the, the dystopian future that we've been predicting for 50 years and have created countless movies and comic books and all this stuff around, right now DAOs have like, they give us so much optimism that we have to start recontextualizing the future um, in the mind's eye, like literally in the mind's eye, like literally when you close your eyes and you think of the future, do you think of abundance and flourishment of life and health and like all the values that we kind of shelf when we think about how the corporate structure is going to lead the future? And I think that that's what the big change that we hope to just be a part of, right? Like this is this is like global collective mindsets that have to start shaping and, and, and changing, right? So we're trying to do our part. We're trying to link up with people doing their part and see how we can start to amplify these ideas and, and grow adoption rates um, and really, really recontextualize the future of um, this kind of dark and dreary dystopian, like, you know, ready player one where like we'll destroy the physical world to create a digital one. We think that the physical world and the digital one just have to work in harmony and that we as innovators in this space really need to take up the, the leadership mantle and set a clear expectation that the future has to be better than the standards of today. 
And like, that's, you know, the big conversation I took away from the web two person I talked to today is like, we just didn't even see eye to eye on the fact that like, there is even the potential right now to create an off ramp to fork that future. And um, I think that people ask me why, where we get our passion, where we get our energy to like self fund and to, to work on this tirelessly. And it's really because we think we're, we're fighting for the future of the world, right? Like, I mean, it's that simple. Like the future is in it, stuck in the antiquated model right now. Taylorism has shown us the dystopian future. So we really think that it, it, there has to be kind of an awakening in education um, from the creative community to understand that um, we can start to inject whole new values for the future. Beautifully put. Could not have put it better myself. Thank you so much for this conversation, Jesse. Really appreciate what you guys are doing. Really appreciate you for sharing. So yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for everybody that's just even interested in investigating the DAO space, right? There's a lot of FOMO. We're just like, chill, fuck out this is the future of the world. Like it's, that's where the world is going. So it's not like you're going to miss out on it this week or next week, right? And so rather than always looking at how you can run a business in this space, all you have to do is think, how can I provide value to, the, to a specific community? And it should be your community. I was talking to a buddy of mine that loves microbrews and it's like, that's your community. You know more about microbrews, like microbrew DAO. Like, let's do these things, right? And so, um, what's really interesting now is just how the perspectives are changing and the adoption rates, um, you know, that we start to see um, are going to be predicated on our ability to show these use cases rather than talking about this shit all the time. Yeah, exactly. And I think conversations like this are the start and i think we'll see how these things evolve over the course of the next six months 12 months two years three years 15 years and when we get to 2035 when you have hit full decentralization where we're at then oh well yeah i mean we actually expect to be yeah i mean that what we set for 2035 was a 15-year goal and actually things are happening like three to five times as fast as we ever expected. Awesome. So, you know, it's shortening our timelines, but that timeline is always going to be based. It's not like we don't want a 5149 consensus in the community, right? Like That's we want, consensus. we want like a good, like 85% of the community going like, yeah, this is right. This is what we should do. And then, and then we'll get, we'll, we'll gain our confidence from the community. Fantastic. Awesome. I think that is the perfect place to finish. So thank you very much indeed, Jesse. This has been absolutely awesome. And thank you very much indeed, everyone, for listening as well. Uh, I'm sure that you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did because this has been awesome. Cool. Yeah, I appreciate everybody out there. Um, just keep pushing forward into the unknown. Like your intro on this, on this is so good because literally... I mean, we started three years ago. We didn't know that we were creating a DAO. Now everybody calls us a DAO. So sure, we'll call it that too, right? So it's it's about finding those use cases and pressing into them and letting the space kind of mature over time. Perfect. Thanks, everyone. 
that was the Daustronaut podcast. Thank you very much for joining me on this exciting voyage through the uncharted territories of the blockchain universe. Please do make sure that you hit the subscribe button wherever it is that you are choosing to listen today. That way you are guaranteed to keep your seat on the fastest rocket into the decentralized future. Once again, do remember to disembark the vessel safely and that nothing said on this podcast is financial advice. With that said, I hope you have enjoyed joining me on this quest and I will catch you next time.